Jesus is the great liberator. He came to set us free. Free from what? The text before us tonight in John's Gospel will give the answer. You may want to join me there. It's in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32. This is what it says. And you will know the truth, Jesus is speaking. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You, you've heard of that. You're, you're familiar with it. In fact, almost everyone is. Even unchurched people probably have heard this as a quotation. It's so popular, in fact, that it appears in a variety of places. It was, for instance, uh, carved on the original headquarters building of the CIA, that very verse. It's also the motto of several uh, institutions of higher learning in the United States, such as, this is the motto, that very verse, of Idaho State University, of Johns Hopkins University, of Southern Methodist University, of uh, the California Institute of Technology, of the University of Portland, and yes, it is the motto even of the University of Texas. There you go, Aggies. So, what, what are these academic institutions telling us in embracing John 8, verse 32, this very verse? I think they're essentially saying, in taking on this verse as their motto, they're saying that the education we offer you when you come to our high-priced university, uh, that education will ultimately set you free. So they're making an equation between uh, information and uh, liberty and freedom. Education is what sets you free. Once you graduate from our university, you'll know the truth, and it's that truth that will set you free. But is that true? Is it true that well-educated people are really free? Listen, in the news almost daily now, we're hearing of, in many cases, a very well-educated person who seems not to be free from personal passions, uh, but who has lived a life of sheer and utter unrestraint. I'm condemning no one. I am like them, apart from Christ. So were you. But these are well-educated people who've uh, succeeded vocationally in many, many ways. And so I'm hard-pressed to see that I can equate education with real liberation. I don't think uh, that the Lord, in giving us what he did in verse 32, is making this equation at all. I think it's unlikely that he's saying, if you get information, you'll be free. I think what he's talking about is not that learning leads to liberty, but that he does. I think he came to tell us not so much about education, but about reconciliation with the Father. He came, the Son, to set us free. Free from what? Um, to keep it simple, free from sin. In particular, three aspects of sin. One, the penalty of sin. Um, uh, 
We stand one day before a holy God who doesn't tolerate sin. We have to give an account. And the minute one accepts Jesus Christ as his sin bearer, as his sin substitute, in an instant, the penalty of sin is transferred from that person's shoulders to the Lord's. He came to set us free, you see, from the penalty of sin. But he also came to set us free, secondly, from the power of sin. It's still present in our lives, though we be Christians. I understand that. But we're no longer powerless in its face. Now we have an option. We can say no to things we were never able to say no to before. And so the Lord's presence in our life leads to a diminished impact of sin in our lives. So firstly, he set us free from the penalty of sin. Secondly, from the power of sin. And this is really, really good news One day, it's a future event, it'll happen. One day, we'll be set free from the very presence of sin. Can you imagine that? Let me answer for you. No, you can't. You can't. Everything that haunts you today is due to the presence of sin in your life. We don't know what it's like to be free from sin in thought, word, and deed. It's that, if we're honest, which has gotten us into most trouble, relationally, financially, personally, in all respects. Can you imagine one day living sin-free? So the Lord Jesus came to set us free from three things, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, And one day, the presence of sin. If you know the truth about Jesus, that truth, he says, will make you free. Now, who is the Lord speaking to? He's speaking to Jewish religious leaders. That's the context. They're in Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you knew this. Jerusalem has been declared. I was a little uncertain about this. But it's been declared by the president of the United States to be the capital of Israel. Did you know that? That just happened today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad because I wasn't sure. Was it like Clute or Pearland or something like that? Folks, that place has been the capital of Israel for 3,000 years, and we finally got a president gutsy enough to call it what it is. It is. You know, I, I'll tell you how I know it's the capital of Israel, not because President Trump publicly declared it to be so, but the Lord Jesus, who I bow before, (laughs) he came from that place. That's where he grew up. That's where he was crucified, resurrected, ascended, and he's returning. He's not returning to Rome. He's not returning to Washington, D.C. He's definitely not returning to Austin, Texas. Keep it weird. No, no, no. He's returning to Jerusalem because that's the place where he'll receive worship from a temple then to be constructed. And I, you just follow where the temple is, and then you can figure out what the capital of Israel is. The temple has been there, some will say, 2,000 years. Oh, no, 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 no. That's the last time it was there, but the second temple, but the first temple constructed by Solomon was there a thousand years earlier for 3,000 years. Jerusalem has been. Israel is the only nation in the world that the rest of the world doesn't permit to declare the place of its own capital. Audacity. In fact, when Israel declares uh, Jerusalem to be its capital, others say, oh yeah, we'll blow you up. In fact, they're saying that about us now. 
We will strike out. We'll have days of rage, strike out against Israel and America. But, you know, I just don't think our government needs to be coerced by a foreign government with reference to our foreign policy. And I don't think Israel... Israel is the only nation state whose capital is not the place of the embassies of other nations. There are about 83 uh, embassies in Israel in Tel Aviv. What a slap in the face. Nobody does that to any other country. You set up your embassy in the capital of the country you are a, a guest in. Israel's the only... Anyway, um, suddenly it's not cold in here anymore. I'm hot. Okay, okay, okay. So the Lord um, was sharing... 2,000 years ago with Jewish religious leaders there in Jerusalem, the then and now capital of Israel. My point in uh, bringing it up is to tell you, if he's telling religious leaders it's the truth that will set you free, the strong implication is their religion won't. I mean, when it comes to being religious, they were religious to the nth degree. Are you kidding me? Now, you can fault them for all kinds of stuff, but not zeal and not passion for their religion. Are you kidding me? And so if you can get points with God by being religious, they would have lots of points. If you can get free from sin by the practice of religion, they would be free. And the Lord wouldn't have to say to them, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Their religion, you see, didn't set them free. Well, I got to tell you, they were not thrilled to hear that. And so this is their response in verse 33. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants. That's how they put it. We are Abraham's descendants. Are they right about that? Yeah. But are they wrong about the implication? Yes, they are. In claiming genealogical connection to Abraham, they're claiming immunity from accountability to God. They're essentially saying free. We don't need freedom. Don't you know who we are? We're Abraham's descendants. We got it licked. We're Jews. Don't you get it? Just by being born Jews as a matter of birth, Everything's cool between us and God. What are you coming to talk to? Set free from what? We're Abraham's descendants. Now it gets even crazier. Look what they say. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Now I'm not the world's greatest historian, but folks, what are you talking about? N they, in fact, had been enslaved or oppressed or subjugated by every nation. They were subjugated and enslaved by the Egyptians and the Assyrians, by the Babylonians and the Persians, by the Macedonians. And even at that very time, when they're having this discourse with Rabbi Jesus, the Romans are oppressing them. Are you kidding me? What could they possibly be meaning? Are they that ignorant of their own history? No. No, they're not. Whatever you may say of them, they knew their history. What are they saying then? This is what they're saying. Though we have been captive, subjugated, and oppressed by all these nations, we've been enslaved in body, but not in spirit. That's what they're saying. 
They're, just, they're not that blind. They know their history. They know the Romans are in town. They're saying they can do to us all kinds of stuff, but they can't rob us of our souls and of our spirits. And they're essentially saying, we are Abraham's descendants. They can kill us, and they do. They can do all they want to, but we remain Abraham's descendants. And being Abraham's descendants, that's the key that set us free. We're okay with God. Outsiders are not. We is because of our genealogical. Hey, listen, don't be so hard on my people because this is just a mirror into human nature. Everybody lays claim to pedigree or church affiliation or something like that, and says, of course I'm saved, I'm this. Of course I'm saved, I was raised in the church. Of course I'm saved, my granddaddy was a preacher. It's the same stuff, you see. Laying some kind of claim, some connection to someone of nobility or integrity, and thus claiming you don't have to be free from any accountability to God, because based on your connection to a church, a denomination, a a race, a granddaddy, something like that, you're off of God's hook. No, 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 that's, that's not. But anyway, they say to the Lord Jesus, they say to him, set us free. Free from what? We're not enslaved. And so verse 34, Jesus answered, and he said to them, truly, truly. But he, he's not wasting words. When he says something twice, it means listen up. That means listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin, it, could you do me a favor? Let's take a poll. We like to take, everyone here who has uh, committed sin, could you raise your hand? I'm just curious. Here, let me see if I can count. Everyone, except the person who didn't raise his or her hand, and you just did commit sin, you lied. Yeah, yeah. So everyone, now watch the strength of the Lord's point here. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The mere commission of sin is evidence of bondage to sin. Do you know why you raised your hand? Do you know why you have committed sin? Me too, me too. It's easy. It's because we are sinners. Sinners are people who commit sin. The Lord Jesus says, if you commit sin, it's evidence of the fact that you are a slave to sin. That's what he says you need to be freed from. Now, uh, this kind of enslavement or bondage, uh, people prefer not to think about at all. That's why people say stuff when they sin. They say stuff like, I made a mistake for which I'm truly sorry. That's what people say. But they don't want to say, I sinned because I am a sinner. All that you're reading about are these sexual improprieties coming to light almost by the day. Uh, the reason why all those who are guilty of committing those sexual sins, the reason why they did what they did is easy. It's because they're sinners, and sinners sin. And just to prove that sinners are enslaved to sin, these are intelligent, well-educated, mostly professional 
men who know better, who risk their reputation, their uh, marriages, um, respect of children, profession, all the rest. They, they, they look at the opportunity in the eye. They know better. And there's something in them that doesn't enable them to say no. Why? Because they're in bondage to sin. It's not they. We. We. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm in the same category apart from Christ. They think they're free, but they're not free. And so they'll risk it all for three minutes of pleasure. Well, they don't need more education. They need regeneration. They're slaves to sin, and the evidence of it is the commission of sin. Listen, here's the formula that'll bring you down. Desire plus opportunity equals disaster. Now, all of us have the desire to sin. Why? Because we're sinners. All you got to do is match that up with opportunity, and you're on the verge of disaster. And men in powerful positions have ample opportunities. So you couple together their sinful desires with opportunities, and you get the kind of disasters we're reading about in the news on a daily basis. Why does this happen? Because as the Lord says, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, we hate this. We hate this. I'm telling you, we hate this. We hate the insinuation that we're in bondage to sin. And so we prefer to think of ourselves as free to choose right from wrong. Just say no. Just say no. Wouldn't it be great if we had the power to just say no? That doesn't work, folks. There's something in us that keeps us from just saying no. So we prefer to think that we are not bound by sin at all. Pages are stuck. But that we are free to make decisions. Look here. I got you. But the Lord says that's not true. You're not free at all. He says we're not free to choose at all. In fact, he says when we commit sin, we prove we're in bondage to sin. We're slaves of it. And so when we sin, I think the Lord is saying we've given uh, incontrovertible evidence of the fact that we're not free. We're slaves to sin. Folks, do you know that the human condition is far worse than we like to admit? I read a very sad article today of a person who once was a pastor in a very fine evangelical church who experienced some things in his life, and he couldn't equate those things with the goodness, even the existence of God, and now he's abandoned the faith and in another state has established himself as a leader in the humanist movement. The humanist movement... Um, is a human-centered rather than God-centered kind of 
religion. It's faith in humankind. And I think to myself, my heavens, he abandoned a reasonable faith for a rather unreasonable one because it takes much blind faith to have confidence in human nature. Folks, the human condition is in far worse shape than you or I believe. The scriptures refer to something theologians call a total depravity, meaning we're affected by sin in every aspect of our beings. And when we read the things as we are in the news today, we're just seeing evidence of it. We're not free from sin, and here's the deal, we can't get free of it ourselves. You can pat yourself on the back all you want and read all the self-help books all you want. You can do all this stuff, but you can't get free from sin. And so according to verse 36, we read, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I think I shared this with you, but at, at the risk of repeating it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. I was in the military. I was unsaved. I, uh, I was mastered, not by Savior, but I was mastered by sin. No one's free. It's, you're mastered by the true Lord or something else. Anyway, I was mastered by sin. So in the military, I was single at the time, and uh, hung out with a bunch of guys. We would get together almost every night. We'd leave the post, and we'd go off because there's a bunch of bars and places on the perimeter of the post. They know just where to set up. You know, that's where the soldiers are, and that's where we'd go. And we'd do stuff, blind, enslaved, morally depraved soldiers do. That's what we did. And so one night, one of the guys, this was typical, knocks on my door. And uh, he says, come on, get ready, we're going. We're going out again. Now, I, I, I had become a Christian a week or so before. He, he knew about it. I said to him, uh, his name was Brian. I remember like it was yesterday. I said, Brian, no, I'm not going tonight. Why not? Don't want to. Why not? I don't need to. I don't want to. And he, uh, I'll never forget this. He said to me, you know what? This religion has made a slave out of you. That's what he said. And I remember saying, no, no, Brian. This relationship with Christ has made me free. I'm not sure I fully understood what I meant. I know he, he didn't. Free in what sense? Then I realized it was this. I was free in this sense. I could now say no to what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was sinful. Freedom was, now I could say no to what I wanted to do. He was not free. He couldn't say no to what he wanted to do. What he wanted to do was his master. He couldn't say no to his inclinations. If it feels good, do it. But I, I couldn't say no to that. I couldn't say no to what I knew would feel good. And then suddenly, I could. Now I felt like I had an option. I, 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 I had a desire and I had power. How could it be that Almighty God would take up his abode in your life and you not get power to live the way he wants you to, to live? And so I, I realized I was free in the sense that I could now say no 
to what I wanted to do in order to say yes to what I ought to do. Man, that is freedom. That is freedom for sure. When a person says, I am free, I am free to do as I please. No, 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 that's not real freedom. Real freedom is when that person can say, I am free not to do as I please. That's real freedom. Jesus didn't come promising us political freedom and all that kind of stuff. He didn't. This side of heaven, that may not happen. He came to give us this kind of freedom. So how then do you, how then do you move from being dominated by sin in your life? How do you get free of it? Folks, the first step in getting free from sin is to recognize your slavery to it. That's the first step. You have to recognize, I sin because I am a sinner. If you have ever found yourself continuing to do the things you don't want to do, but you keep doing them, you have evidence that you're a slave to sin. If you have ever found yourself not doing the things you would like to do, you have just found evidence that you're a slave to sin. You think you're doing what pleases you, but you're not. You're doing what your master, sin, is pleased with. The first step to freedom is to admit that. I am a sinner. And the second step, it's easy, is to run to the Savior. There was a man, kind of an ungodly man, named Aldous Huxley, and he kind of distorted this verse, and he said, you shall know the truth, and the tr truth shall make you mad. Don't be mad if the Lord Jesus, even tonight, is impressing upon you, maybe in a fresh new way. You are a sinner. Don't be mad. Be honest. You are. You is. You have enough evidence of it. Don't be mad. Acknowledge your sin and then run to the Savior. That's how you get free. Why, Jesus? He is the only one who has the authority and the power and the willingness to set you free. Run to Jesus. What a gift it would be for you during this time of gift giving to accept the inexpressible gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gift of forgiveness. He will forgive you. He will grant you a pardon. He will say, case dismissed. You'll get an acquittal from God on high because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his son. And when Jesus forgave us, he wasn't like a judge, you know, and the gavel goes down, case dismissed, now clear the court. No, no, no. When you, you stand before him and, and, he, and the gavel goes down, he says, case dismissed. You know what he says then? He says, now come home with me. He forgives our sin. And then he says, and now I desire a relationship with you. I want to go through your life here with you. And I want that life to continue with me in eternity. He says, I want to have, inhabit every aspect of your life, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, and I want to empower you to be able to say no to the things you want to do so that you can say yes to the things you ought to do. 
I don't want to just forgive your sins. Oh, no. I desire a relationship with you. Do you desire one with me? He is so gentle and gracious that he lets folks like you and I invite him to forgive us and enter our lives. I beg you, in this very uncertain, disturbing, oftentimes discouraging world, do yourself a favor, my fellow sinner. Run to Jesus as Savior and get free. And say, I don't fear what man can do to me. For man can do things with reference to my body, but not my soul. If your soul has been purchased back, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a Christmas gift it would be to take on Jesus as your Savior. There was a man named Charles Wesley who lived some time ago. He wrote many hymns. They're famous. Here's one. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. And then he wrote this. He wrote, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to set the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me.